I think the 800 is also like an event which hasn't been really touched by a lot of distance swimmers or middle distance swimmers. I would say middle distance swimmers because it's like, yeah, it was never a thing. And like you let the 1500 guys do the 800. Um, and when you watch those 800, it's still the same people swimming. And no one, there's no guy really from a 200, 400 who has been reaching into that 800 and trying to, like, to change the way we're swimming the 800 with going out really hard and trying to hold on to it at the end. Welcome back to the Social Kick Podcast. I'm Brian Lundquist. We got a full crew this morning, for us anyway, Dr. John Mullen, Luke Paddington, and Felix Albach. What's up, Felix? How are you? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Man, you just crushed a meet. Tell us about it. Qualifying for Tokyo, big range, 200 to 800. Give us the reaction of the meet. Yeah, I was uh, I was in Stockholm last week. Uh, it was like my first real taper meet of the season. Um, we really wanted to see where I'm at right now, especially because uh, we needed feedback. There were so many things we were able to take away from the meet with things which went really well, things which went bad things we have been practicing we want to implement into a fully tapered race and i could have waited probably with that one more month until the european championships but then we just have eight more weeks to go until the olympics so we kind of needed that feedback as early as possible where it would make sense to taper and i think we achieved that with the 200 400 and 800 there and now we like have a lot of data and stuff we know and what we can continue or change until tokyo mm. I wanted, I wanted to ask you about that because, um, well, I guess, first of all, let's start with Olympic schedule. So first time this year with the 800 as part of the Olympic schedule, um, it looked like, uh, I guess maybe, let me ask this, how did you feel about your 1500 relative to your other events? Uh, I kind of like feel like right now my 1500 is kind of like scratch for my program because of the 800. Okay. The, the nice thing is that the 1500 is on the last last day so that option would still be there but i think distance swimming has developed in a very new kind of way lately especially with the 1500 it's more like those guys more like swim the 10k now than mm -hmm. they used to go to the 400 um there's still like a lot of 1500 swimmers which are like amazing in the 800 but um yeah you don't really see the combination anymore of a 400 guy doing the 1500 or very rarely and I don't see myself as a complete distance distance swimmer. I think my strongest events are the 400 and 800. And yeah, the 400 is, I think, my event. And that's the one I'm focused on the most. How do you feel like, I'm curious about this, because again, I don't know anything, but I swam the 50 and the 100, and the 100 was double the distance of the 50. And it was so, so different. So it's not that illogical that the 1500 would be that different than it's not that crazy that like, yeah, it's totally different race than the 800. But the, I think a lot of us think, well, they're both distance events. They're just the long stuff. Like, of course, yeah. it's aerobic. So what, what, like, what's different about training for and like tapering for the 800 versus 1500? I think if the 800, you can get away, you can start out fast or you have to start out fast and then when it really starts hurting, you're halfway there. You're like, you, you're, you're able to push it through. It's a different kind of race. You need, you need to have a really good 200. If you don't have the 200 speed, um, you're not going to succeed in the 800 because to be up front there, I think in 2019, Gregorio Polchineri started with a 348 or something like, no, that 349 was what he started in the 1500, I think, probably like 346 or something crazy like that in the 400. 
to go 346 alone, you probably have to go like 147 in the 200, 148. So, yeah, in the 1500, I think you were able to go like 150 in the 200, 149. Because if you keep holding like 59s long course, you might be able to get away with less speeds. But the 800 is a really speed event. Um, 2019, first place was 739. That's like going on to two 350s, 400s twice in a row. Um, yeah, and I feel like it's the longest event where you really have kind of like a 200, 400 pace effort in there, whereas the 1500, when we look at the 10K swimmers, they went in 2019 at Worlds, the first 1,000 was 10.08. The first 1,000 was 10.08. Now you have to think, that's basically going a 15, what, 15 in the mile, 15, 20, and that's without turns. So um, I think the pace, what happened in the 10K is very similar to the 1500. <laughs> they slow down in the middle of the race, but then at the end, it's a 1500 all out again for them, basically. And they go double O's the last meters again. So um, yeah, it's, it's very similar to the 1500. And I think that's the future of how we'll see swimmers dividing up their events. I was going to ask about how you, how you deal with it mentally. Uh, we had Leah Smith on, and Leah said that if I feel like crap before the 400 mark of the 800, I knew I'm not going to have a good race. But if I'm dead at the 4, 450, I know I'm going to have a good race because I can sustain this, the pain to finish it. I can handle it. How, how, how do you feel? Like, at what point do you know, you know what, this is rocking for me. I'm going to go a 740-something low. Uh, yeah, so it kind of has to be the 400. You need to feel fast and it has to hurt but you have to be under control and if you start feeling at the 400 you get to the 400 you're at your max and there's a certain point a distance swimmer gets used to when they know they have a good race or they have a bad race it's hard to describe but it's like i wouldn't even say it doesn't hurt at that point yes it hurts really really bad but you know you can sustain that it doesn't matter how bad it hurts we can push through that second half with the exact same pain and it's actually really a nice feeling because you know you're not dying. It hurts a lot, but that doesn't matter at that point. And the worst situation for myself to be in is if I go into the second half and I feel like I'm dying, but it is like I can't push over that. My body is like limited to pushing over the limits. And I, I think as a distance swimmer, there's no better feeling than feeling the real pain, feeling how hard it is, but knowing you can push it until the end. And yeah, that's, that's the best part of it. Yeah, so you mentioned, you know, having a, a good meet in Stockholm, but obviously it was kind of getting a lot of takeaways because you haven't been able to train and probably do things like you've been wanting to do for a year leading up to the Olympics. What were some of those big takeaways in the 400 free in particular? Yeah, the 400 free is um, last summer I went to 345. Oh, and I started with 153 and came back into 151. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to go 151 feeling like 153 um, and kind of like having a good second half. So what my race was, I was 151 on 153, kind of like switched around. Um, but it was definitely the right way to do it because if I am an Olympic final and you go 153, they're already a body length ahead of you and you have to catch the waves. So I need to learn how to go faster in those races. Um, with not necessarily more effort, but just more front-end speed, what I think we did pretty well. And th the main part were turns. Um, so we analyzed my turns, and 
at the best races, my turn splits were like 7.9, 8.0 uh, from the turn until the 15 meter mark. And we analyzed the race of the 2016 or 2017 World Championships. And the average turn of the fastest guys were 7.6 from the push off to the 15 meter mark. And what we got there from us was um, my splits now were between 7.5 and 7.8. So it's right in there in the middle. So I improved two tenths to three tenths per turn. What was really good. Uh, and it was good to see progress there. And the biggest part was as well, like underwaters. I really didn't really use my underwater so far. Um, until last year, I would do like one kick or no kick, especially in the second half, just push off and swim. Where right now I'm maintaining a two dolphin kick off every wall. Um, what was hard in the beginning when we started in September, but comes naturally now. Now I want to ask you about um, there's something quirky about distance swimming where there's there's some people that have historically had amazing success with really quirky stroke technique. Why do you think that is? Like we have Janet Evans, and then like honestly, watching Jake McGahey, like he's from Georgia, so am I. Like no offense, but like there's some kind of like he's got a weird looking stroke, and um, there's a lot of other distance swimmers from time to time that just have this kind of weird thing. I, I went back and watched um, this this old uh, flow swimming video the other day that I loved. Uh, it was Michael Clee doing 15 ones on a minute, holding like 50 ones, <laughs> and in that Chris Kubik talks about how. Michael's arm crosses way over the center line and it's just something that he's done for years. But so I don't know. I just like, what is that about distance? Or do, do you have anything? Your stroke look, mechanics look pretty good. It doesn't look like you have anything weird. I think there might be two explanations. One is that you swim so much and it's kind of like you train after like a system. So you want to be in that hard rate zone for that long and you want to like kind of like a science-based approach of it where you don't really care that much about the technique. You just want to have your body, your physiology working all the way through in the specific heart zones. And the other thing I could think about is, um, what was it? It's just maybe because you're doing so much that if you would have a perfect technique, you're kind of like, it would really hurt your body. You wouldn't be able to maintain it. You kind of get sloppy on the water, not pulling all the way through because if you do 10 grand, a session and you do it in a perfect technique it is just too hard for the body so i think kind of like trying to put more frequency but less effort into your stroke um but overall i believe that if you have a perfect technique for like you're trying to get as best as possible underwater on your stroke and you have a lower stroke count it's still going to benefit you more than getting your stroke rate really high so I'm still like a big fan of, especially in the 400, mm -hmm. uh, using the full distance from the catch until the exit of the water. And yeah, don't lose any um, distance during your stroke. Yeah, you talked about, you know, swimming volume. And like you said, for a distance swimmer, the theory was, all right, just throw in the volume, get the aerobic training, everything will work its way out, or you'll just, you know, outswim everyone. Obviously, in sprint swimming, we're hearing more about race pace training, reducing volume. How has distance swimming training changed over time or even over your experience as a distance swimmer? Um, I, I would say they're very different approaches still nowadays. Um, I can see like when we just us distance swimmers doing very different 
things in training um, to reach a goal. I personally, at Michigan, we would, I think, had a very traditional approach. Um, threshold sets a couple times a week, 4K threshold, morning, smart, long aerobic, uh, many short interval, short rest sets. Yeah, a lot of pull. So that is something what I think always works. You can get a swimmer to a certain level with that kind of work easily. If you have the person who buys into it and he's going to work hard, especially like in a 500 yard or a 1650, you're going to get results because this will always work. But then for me, there came a point now where it was like, I personally felt like my body got very used to that. It was not that I had like any shock to my body anymore with doing that day in, day out every week. And we, since I'm here at Loughborough, we incorporated more race space. So I'm still doing those threshold sets probably one or two a week. But I'm also doing every week race pace or VO2 max set. And I felt that my race pace really supports my threshold. Um, it really, I don't think it really necessarily works without each other anymore. You need to do both um, to get your threshold old on the next level as well as the race pace. Give me an example of a set you adapted to in Michigan and give me an example of a set that you do now at Loughborough's race space. What would you do? Um... Yeah, so at Michigan, um, classic sets would be, for example, we did this set. It was, we, we went to 800. It was long course. We went to 800 red. We went two 400s red. We went four 200s red, eight 100 red. And then we went the way back up with uh, four 200s. He sent one to four, uh, two four hundred. Uh, he sent one to two, and then the eight hundred red. So that was like a huge chunk of threshold work. That was probably like the worst we would ever do at Michigan. That kind of set. That would be like April, May after NCAA's, like uh, one month in getting really ready for long course. Whereas we had Loughborough like a threshold set, which let's think what we could have done. Yeah, that was a set, it was like nine two fifties. So we would go like um four two fifties red in a row, then a two and fifty easy, three two fifties red in a row, uh one two fifty easy, and then two one easy, one and then easy. Um which necessarily isn't too different, but um it I don't know, it's like the training is so hard to compare because at Michigan we did it work every single day, morning and afternoon. There was not really a day off ever. Whereas here we go Monday, seven to eight K in the morning long course, afternoon really hard. And then all of Tuesday I have two sessions where I go probably seven K each, but literally no intensity. It's just swimming. We're staying like in a very low aerobic zone. And I never had that time at Michigan to come back and recover fully before I go the next hard set. Mm -hmm. And I think especially now I've built up such a great base at Michigan from all the training that right now, when, if I go really, really hard one session, I know I have like one to two sessions just of aerobic swimming. I will be back for the next session on a really high level. And that's the pattern I've been seeing this year. It was like whenever from week to week, my paces and threshold or race pace would just drop down. Um, just because the work was accumulated from there's no reason to believe or be worried that mm -hmm. the pace would be lost for Michigan, but we can use the time here wisely to get better, but also recover from session to session. 
It's like the swimming equivalent to man strength. You know, you like achieved a certain level of, of strength accumulation. <laughs> What's, um, hey, uh, so how have you thought about periodization then going forward? Like think like the next year or so. So if you're, if you're leveraging the foundation that you built, you know, like this big body of work and, and now, you know, kind of you're, you're able to, um, you know, like use it to your advantage, but not have to do it on a daily basis. We're thinking about like how to go back and load into a training phase that's maybe a, a few like a period of months in coming years. Yeah. So, for example, this season uh, we had it like classically divided into kind of like the different micro cycles, and the first block of work from September to December, kind of. Uh, I mean, with ISL in between, it was like a little bit uh, disruption or like difference, but um, it was. We just went threshold um, Monday and Friday and had a race pace every Wednesday and just a lot of work, like no recovery week all the way through for the base of the season. And then we started to put in more like heart rate sets, VO2 max, going 100 and 400 pace, going 50s, 200 pace more and more, starting like in January. And at that point, I would say it was like 50, 50% race pace, 50% uh, threshold work. And at this point where we are now, I think we are probably at like 30% threshold, 70% uh, race-based work. So I think I was very lucky with being at Michigan, doing that aerobic work there, which gave me such a good base. But I necessarily don't think we would like plan each year with like, because I, I know a lot of people do that in Europe. They go the first year after the Olympics or the first two years, a lot of aerobic work, then a little bit more of pace work in the last year, kind of like, a lot of competitions to get the racing really through meets. So that's not what I'm going to do or like it's not what we are planning to do just because we see each year is so important for itself. Um, we don't know how long our swimming career lasts and just thinking about every four years for one meet, um, I don't think it's worth it. I mean, the Olympics are amazing and it's a great opportunity, but there's still world championships and European championships every year. And I, that, that's just the, the way I'm, I'm thinking about it. So how do you currently work in tapers? Um, how long are your tapers? How much are you dropping down? And like you said, maybe not doing a, a big taper every four years or something like that. How many peaks do you feel like you have in you every year? We'll say a, a, a regular year with actual competitions and things like that. Yeah, I think um, the first one or like how much you can do is like there's always like this December meet, which you have Trocos European, Trocos Worlds. And I think people say they're tapering for that, but necessarily no one is going to go all the way down as they would for a long first meet in the summer because you're just able, the importance is not really that high as we would ever go to a long course meet. Um, but I think it's good to get rested at moment because if you don't rest, you don't get to the next level. You need the rest to train better after that meet. And um, usually I feel like two to three really good tapers a year are definitely possible after each cycle. Um, so how we rested now for, for the Stockholm meet was, I don't really see it as like taper has like, oh, you get eight days of taper, you get 10 days of taper. That doesn't make sense to me because, um, if someone maybe looks at my workout, there was, would be saying, Hey, you didn't taper at all, but we just got the intensity so down. So usually it's from like 70 K and then the week before we went slowly down to like 60, 50, 40 K. So like. 40k like some people might think you didn't get any rest at all some people might think that's a lot of rest so 
it's up to each individual like what they need in that and it is just a weird thing because sometimes you're doing the exact same thing and it completely doesn't work um you're doing something completely new which you think would not have worked ever before and you're doing better than ever before so generally speaking for me it's like keeping the meter still high but going down with the intensity by a lot to give the body rest because when i go to the olympics i go to world championships and i'm I don't know if you guys guys seen the schedule for the Olympics, but I have like all of my events basically all lined up in the beginning. There's no um, recovery, really anything in between. It just goes one after the other, one after the other. And if that's the case, I have warm up 2K, I have my race, I have a warm down 2K twice a day. I'm going to end up like 8K of just like swimming anyway on that day without the racing. Yeah. So um, there's no way for me to come down to like 2K a session if, I have to swim like 8K a day anyway, all the way through. You talk, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I was going to ask you about warm up. So, warm up and warm down, uh, since you mentioned it, how do you, what what is typical meet warm up uh, for you? And, and how does it differ depending on the race? Yeah, so there's always like kind of like divide, dividing my warm up up into three different parts. This was the first part of getting loose. Um, this might be a little bit longer in the morning than it is at night. Just I just get in and swim. And then there's a certain point where I feel like, all right, this is good. I'm loose enough to get into my aerobic work. Sometimes it loosen in an afternoon could be like a 200 or 300. Or sometimes it could be like an 800 to 1,000. That's completely different. Um, usually longer in the morning. And then I get to my aerobic work where I go like three two hundreds, five ones. Just get it like start with a low heart rate and getting faster each rep to be there where I'm comfortable being at. And um, after that, I do some drills and technique work and then I get into pace. Um, usually it's around 2K, 2, 2K is like my classic warm-up, um, which I think works. Um, there's not really a big difference when I look at my races between 200, 400 and 800, the way I warm up. The only difference is the pace I'm doing is different to get my whole body aerobically ready, get the heart ready, get the blood pumping, that part is literally the same. There's not a big difference. Uh, I want to be at my 100% completely working. I'm not really scared of warming up hard. Um, I think I'm going really hard in warm-up to be ready. I now have 20, 30 minutes to recover. And in training, we're doing it the same way. Like We're, tr we're having a long warm-up. We're going hard before we go to a main set to, get, to be really ready to go. So... That's the kind of style of what I believe in. Warm up works for me really well. And then warm down, I do the same set as always. It's four or five hundreds. Um, because, wow. Yeah, often I feel like people don't warm down enough, especially like we have been measuring a lot of my lactate levels and I get up to 18, 19. And Whoa. yeah, I kind of want to be out of the water when I'm at like between one or two again. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely like, um, we kind of go like 100, one millimole, 100 warm down, 100 warm down. So four or 500, it's it to be on the safe side. Dude, that's high lactate for a distance swimmer. Wow. Huh. Yeah, it's I it's measured. It was measured in the 400. Um, I think 400 is really an event where I can get everything out of my body. But for the 800, I hopefully it's not that high. It would be terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I think we wanted to go back and ask you about 2019 uh, NCAAs, especially since we mentioned like warm up is is the same for most races, uh, but the pace is different. 
taper uh generally speaking volume comes volume stays high intensity comes down what um but there is a big difference between the 1650 and the 500 you obviously won the 1650 we're right on record pace until the last 50 maybe last 25 um <laughs> like what what do you think happened at that at that meet coming in as top seed in five? Oh, it's a good question because I feel like still thinking about it sometimes. What exactly happened? Um, what has been impacting me a lot in my swimming career is like there needs to be I need to be relaxed when I swim. I need to be loose, and if I tighten up, if there's I can't be nervous, but I can't be cramped up, and. If I start having that, my race is going a complete disaster. It's, it's so that 418, which I went in prelims in the 500, like people, it's like I actually went all out in that race, but it wow. just felt so hard because I I don't know for what reason why I was really convinced and I was really into like I'm gonna win this event. Like I got second, like or like a third and second and this is my year i'm gonna win it and i was like no doubt him i was just like going for it and then like it just was too much they went over that edge um and when i was over that edge just like that pacing got so hard and the next day the 200 the same thing happened again it was that was more like a bounce back i was like all right at that point now like let's show them now and it kind of like got into the same situation again whereas on the last day at the mile, at that point, it was like, all right, who cares at this point now? Like, this is like, <laughs> this is already like, I knew like, it kind of like, I, at that point, I knew I could win. I mean, it sounds crazy, but when I went to that afternoon session for finals for the mile, I was convinced I could win because, I don't know, it was just the work I've been doing in training. Um, the day before, Josh, my coach from Michigan, he was like, let's do 10 ones, just like get the aerobic working. And it was like, I was going on like 105 was the was my interval. And I was going like 50 ones and it was so easy. And I was like, damn, I can do that tomorrow in the race. Like, there's no way I cannot hold that. And I was like, at that point, the pressure was already gone because everybody expected me to do bad anyway. Like there was no way anybody was believing it's still going to work out. So yeah, I really enjoyed that because it could surprise a lot of people kind of surprised myself but I felt really comfortable where I was at and what I think still was a huge advantage was just the mile pace you can find into a race in the mile you can find your pace you can find your rhythm you have time to find up and set up everything up whereas in the 200 and 500 you don't have the time it's you have it right there or the race is gone and um, if you see the race in the 1650 I started out so slow um, I really tried to set everything up and once I was comfortable, I kept going. And I think that's that was still the key to that win. Yeah, for, for the first part of this talk, we talked about, I heard intensity, hard, intensity, intensity, hard for, you know, as you described your, your physical workouts and how you, how you train. How do you, how have you worked in the last, since then to, to balance the mental side of that? I've heard that you're, you're a fun guy to be around. You have a laugh. You know, do you make conscious efforts to relax at practice? You know, distance swimmers can be quite intense when they're training. And I know that. And I coached a few. How do you work on the mental side of it to ensure that you are a little bit more relaxed and you swim because you love it? Um, there are many different things. First of all, I think it's you have to be really comfortable in the group you're in with the guys you're training. Um, I was really lucky that I had an amazing group at Michigan and I have an amazing group here at Loughborough with people I really like. Um, 
you're spending so much time together, if you don't like the person next to you in the lane, I think it's going to get rough as a distance swimmer. Um, and it's very competitive, but it is fun. It is a lot of fun. And the other part, which always was important for me, was like doing something else than swimming. So I'm still kept going with my studies now, doing my master's, just because I believe if you swim all the way and you don't do anything else, your day is determined by your training. Your day is determined how you did in, uh, in that session, uh, on that meet. And I love being able to come home and it's going to be like, oh my God, I have homework due tomorrow. And it's kind of like closes the chapter of swimming right away. So yes, it is a lot of hard work as well, but it's really helpful. And I think it's really good for a good mental well-being. Do you, do you have a lot of pressure from home? I mean, you're the top swimmer in your country. You're, you're, you're well-known at home. Do you have pressure from sponsors? Uh, and how do you deal with that kind of pressure? Not really. Since swimming is such a small sport back home, mm. um, it's not really that people know much about swimming. Or I have a very su supportive federation, uh, which kind of like, yeah, it's not easy. I feel like if you lose your best swimmers going abroad, um, of course, they want them to stay home as well to develop swimming there. But I've gotten great support there. And um, I mean, pressure, I think the biggest pressure I put on my, myself is, yeah. is, is me. Yeah. And um, I've been working a lot with um, just on my mental side as well, because I realized that's where I had the biggest potential. So I'm working with a psychologist here. Um, just very incorporated in my training. It's just as important as my swim training. And yeah, I, I love it because it's just like so many things I've never experienced before. I never even reached out to get better at it because I thought there's no problem anyway. Why should I do that? But you didn't really need it to have a problem because there's so many things you can do, little like tools. Um, you can prepare yourself mentally for that. Where it's like, if you do it, you just feel a big difference when you not do it. Give me an example. We, we hear this a lot from swimmers, but give me a concrete example of something that you do that makes a big difference for you when you do it. So what we have been doing a lot here was, you know, at every swim meet, you have like, you go to the blocks and race. But when you go to the big meets, you have a call room, you have a second call room, your suits will be checked. You're doing all these things which you basically haven't been doing at any like other meet before. And you're thinking, why don't we incorporate it to our training when we do like training meets here in Loughborough? Let's make a call room. Let's make like suit check. So we're going all through that procedure, which is like some of the things like useless because it's like one heat with two people swimming, doing like a stand up. But going through that entire routine where you feel like you, have, you kind of develop a checklist. I have a checklist exactly what I'm doing. The moment I enter the pool, from the moment my race starts, they are like, 60 70 different things and i exactly know which order they come in mm -hmm. and so i'm not doing anything new uh if i go to a big meet i exactly know what the next step is and it kind of like calms you down as well because you're following a procedure which you have been doing for years at that moment and so the one that changes on you go ahead brian do you bring in an announcer and uh some strobe <laughs> lights and a camera that put your <laughs> up on the big screen and you like walk out into the pool and they're like, Felix, I'm back here. Like, yeah, <laughs> that would be cool. Maybe that's the next step. <laughs> well, we used, to, we used to celebrate race finishes. I feel like this is probably something Mike Bottom used to do is practice your celebration, envision yourself winning the race or envision yourself getting your hand on the wall. What are you going to do? So like race to the finish and ah, go crazy. <laughs> I'm sure. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we, we kind of practice. I think that's important too. You need to celebrate practice because like it, it gives you something really positive from your day. And it's like, to be honest, sometimes I feel like most of my practices have been better than most of my races just because you have more opportunities to practice well than you race well. So I think you need to celebrate that, that the same way. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think the race preparation is a, a great point. And I think with COVID this year, it might be even more important just with less meets. People are having higher anxiety just from not getting out as much. So are you guys doing any of those race rehearsals to practice some of these COVID procedures? Um, I think we, we're not necessarily that we say like, oh, we're practicing that kind of like COVID stuff, but we have very strict rules at the pool with wearing a mask the moment you get out of the pool and with the social distancing and we kind of like are divided. Everybody's like his own little sector to change on the pool deck to get in. So we have been kind of like living with on, under those circumstances or training on circumstances since we're here. Um, what definitely will help. Um, I think the crazy part is we don't even really know like wh what like the hygiene or COVID protocol is going to be in Tokyo. It's what are we out like four months out, three and a half months out, but we still don't know. So <laughs> we'll see how that develops. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, the unknown is still there. So my question is, you know, with the checklist that you have, I'm assuming that 16, 17 point checklist is going to probably change or not be perfect at the Olympics because Olympics are always a different beast, let alone without having any clue what the protocols, procedures, situations going to be. What mental training have you done or are you using to prepare to be ready for those changes? So I have another list, which is a what if scenario list. We put everything on there. What could be a what if, and it's, I don't know how many things it are. It is enormously long. Um, it could be from nutrition side, logistic point, swimming point, um, sleeping point, like just everything what you can think of. We put on that list and try to write off. Um, if that happens, what are we doing? So I just like a plan for every situation which could potentially happen, which um, I think should get me prepared. And we've been thinking like I've been working with like five different people with my coach, with um, my psychologist, with my physiologist, biomechanic, um, strength and conditioning coach. So they helped me with that as well. Um, they wrote down what they think could, could be a what if scenario and wrote a possible solution on it. So we should be well prepared for that case, but I'm sure there will be something which comes up no one has ever thought of um, because that's always the case. But then I also think that this will help because I've been just being prepared that there could be so many what ifs. Hmm. So <clears throat> what do you think about being in the first ever uh, 800 meter final at the Olympics? I think it's a great opportunity. I mean, distance swimmers got another event. It kind of like kind of changed the way I'm swimming. Otherwise probably do like 400, 1500. It, it just changes everything. Um, very tight schedule. I mean, everybody's happy to have another event added to the Olympics, I guess. It's like nothing, nothing bad about it. Um, I, I feel like it's for swim, really swim fans, that's a great thing. But I feel like for the random person watching, it doesn't mean anything for that person. Um, I think they could watch the same way the 1500 and really wouldn't see a difference, I believe. Do you see, do you see, is there any importance to you? Because um, it's really, it's it's not as much about the men in this as it is about, even though it is adding an event and making things equal, it seems to be the the 
the bigger issue is the fact that the women didn't have the 1500 and the perception was that women couldn't swim the 1500 just like um you know like women previously weren't allowed to run in marathon races um so um is there do you do you think about that at all that like the the fact that the 800 is existing in the olympics is is in part because it, very much so that it's it's an effort to level the playing field and and so there is significance of it in that regard i've never actually thought about that um i just thought like the 800 should be an event because like the jump from the 400 to the 1500 is so big so i thought like there should be an event in the middle there but that's yeah, interesting um i think i think the bigger question or like more controversial is just like why aren't the 50s of stroke not an olympic event yet yeah um, that kind of like leaves out so many opportunities for so many world-class sprinters because there's a huge difference from 100 to a 50 for some people for some guys yeah. um, but just like it's it will be way more athletes or way more aquatic athletes and they're trying to minimize the people going to the olympics overall and with the 800 for guys you're most likely not going to add anyone new same for the girls for the 1500 so basically the same swimmers you have in the 1500 for guys and 800 for girls or someone who was doing the 400 so yeah we're seeing the same number of athletes but um more events do you think uh well so first i'll say that yeah i, I totally agree that the 50s um are, are missing and that's what's what needs to come next because if the, the world championship schedule should just mirror the olympics and as somebody whose best event was a 50 of stroke and the 50 butterfly and at the time of the peak of my career, I was also the fastest in my country by a lot. Um, I very much would have liked to see that in the Olympics. But I always thought that the first move was actually to level the 800 and the 1500 um, because I, I felt like it was unequal for, for women to do that and that that needed to be equaled first and then we moved to the 50s. Um, but because of your earlier comments, I'm curious about what you just said re with regard to um, the the distant swimmers would be the same the same people swimming in the event but even though like 800 1500 are, are are pretty different races do, so do you do you think that it'll be it'll there will be different lineups and what are countries doing i know you have to qualify or make a standard but um are do you know anything about countries that are selecting criteria or people doing trials in 800 or just doing like one event and then like the us does this for for um for the for the hundreds uh have, have always done this where they um you the, the world championships where they would they would let the 100 meter person swim the 50. so yeah, I've seen um, that. i'm just curious if like that's the thing with distance if you like you qualify in the 1500 okay you can come down and swim the 800. <laughs> i just feel like that especially um i think that the eight uh oh sorry the 1500 and the 10k is more similar than we believe that it than what it actually looks like on paper. Yeah. I think the 800 is also like an event which hasn't been really touched by a lot of distance swimmers or middle distance swimmers. I would say middle distance swimmers because it's like, yeah, it was never a thing. And like you let the 1500 guys do the 800. Um, and when you watch those 800, it's still the same people swimming. And no one, there's no guy really from a 200, 400 who has been reaching into that 800 and trying right. to to change the way we're swimming the 800 with going out really hard and trying to hold on to it at the end. Um, yeah, it will be interesting. Um, there is, it is also for the uh, 800, 1500 guys, if they're doing the 10K as well, that's also a crazy week. 
um, they have because the tank of water just four days right after. So there's not really much time in between either. After pool swimming ends, there's the 10K. So after you have like three days to recover from the oh. 1500 final. Hmm. That's Jordan, eh? Yeah. Felix, in t talk about the finals. When I'm watching you swim in uh, the 400 and 800, how do I know that? So my brother swam the 204 in Sydney in 2000. And I knew from the first 25, he was having a terrible race. He just looked terrible. Low in the water, flat. He wasn't himself. Um, how do I know that Felix is on in at the 400 and the 800? Is it the split you go out? Is it how you look? Is it how you work in your walls? Is, is your back is not as purple as it normally is? Like, what is it? Like, what's the look I'm looking for? <laughs> I'm a pale guy, but <laughs> um, I would definitely say it's the way I'm swimming. You can see if I'm getting like, uh, it looks like kind of like working really hard, a lot of rotation, um, not you need to be like fluent in the water, just like having a rhythm. If that is the case, it's it's not gonna be a good race. When I have my best race, it looks loose, relaxed, fast from the beginning. Um, looks like, yeah, I when I watch my best race and my worst race, it looks like a different person swimming. Mm -hmm. And that I feel like if you get used to me, see my see me swimming of my good races and bad races, when you see me train, for a coach, it's really easy to see on the first 50 if this is going to be a good or bad race. Can we pay attention to your times as well? Like if you go out super fast in the 400, do we know you're going to have a good race? So that's not as much of an indication as how you look. I think so too. Um, the faster I go out, the better it's going to be my race. Because often when I go out faster, it actually feels way easier than when I feel bad and I go out slow. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So it's like, um, it never really had has happened so far that I was working super, super hard to go out fast while I was feeling bad. It never happened because when I do that, I literally just go out at the same time as I usually do. I'm just not efficient. If I'm not, if I'm tightened up and put a lot of effort in, it never really means that I go faster. So just from our conversation, I can tell you're an analytical guy. You got your turn times, your turn splits. I'd love to hear your thoughts in general about the 200 400, and I guess we'll throw in the 800 of where the state of swimming is compared to those world records and if there have been plateaus and kind of speeds in those times. Hmm. Yeah, I think the 200, I, let's start with the 200 because I yeah. think that's the most interesting one. We haven't really gone, been faster for so long. Like, yeah. I mean, Paul Paul's time, Paul Biederman's time, 142.00 was like, yeah, that was, that was just crazy. But since then, like, no one has ever reached it again. Yeah. I think the most impressive swim was Yanni Ganiel in 2013. Um, that really like blew me away because the way he swam, it's so dominant from the beginning, but also so dominant on the way back. Um, but with 145, 144, you're still in the mix every single time since well, probably like 15 years now. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is quite crazy. When I look at the 400, um, on the top end, not much has changed. I think if you go 341, 342, you're exactly there. Mm -hmm. But you have so many people going 344, 345 now. Um, I've never seen a depth like what we have right now. If you go 344, 345, it doesn't mean you make an Olympic final right now. But um, I think you would have medaled at every Olympics besides 2016 with a time like that ever before. Do you think the 340 barrier is the greatest swimming barrier left unbroken right now? Uh I mean, 
they were so close already, so close. <laughs> what is like three forty oh two or something like that? The world record. Um, I feel like the craziest part to break would be the eight hundred world record if someone goes faster than seven thirty two. That is for me the craziest one. But yes, because like the big, like every kind of record has been broken like a significant barrier lately. And I think if someone would go under 340, that would be just like, wow, like holding under 55s, hundreds in the 400. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like going past on 27.5 splits all the way through. That's so ridiculous. But yeah. somebody did it. Why? Why did they do it? I mean, if somebody did it, anybody can do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's yeah. it like? Yeah. I, I mean, think Bork it did it years ago. I mean, golly. It just one person so like ian Ford was just like i feel like he was just different different build different like that was just because i mean when we throw him in now he would be just like he would be really good in 400 he would ride to minute 200 but being that person like in 20 uh 2000 2004 is like that is the crazy part be having someone who is like 15 years ahead of time being so dominant that's I mean, that's that's the cool thing about swimming. Like, we have someone doing it, and then 15 years later, that's like, that's enough to make the A final. That's enough to make the final. So I feel like it's if you look at swimmers now, we're like the fastest in the world. There's so much. What is, does it gonna mean for 15 years? That's the time you have to swim to make a final. Probably it's crazy to think about it now that way, but I believe that will be the case. Yeah, it just seems like the distance world is ripe for some some big barriers to be broken. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think about what uh, Bobby Fink's doing in short course yards? He was right next to you when uh, you won that NCAA title, um, but you know you're quite a bit ahead, and now he's come back and you know significantly lowered those records. Uh, he's got some potential. Who who you've got you've got potential to go to go and do it. What do you think? Who, who are the standouts that um, could could break some barriers um, and, and rock the distance world? I feel like with Bobby Fink, it's not that he, like, broke a barrier. He, like, demolished it. <laughs> In 12, is like, it's not even, like, close to, like, whatever barrier you want to set, he has broken there. Um, what is pretty cool, because I feel like just gave, gave a lot of swimmers a lot of, like, like, it was kind of, like, crazy to be in the 1420s as a distance swimmer in the NCAA. But yeah. like now it's like if you want to be crazy, you have to be in the 14 pins. And 14 wow. is, is going to become like not a new normal, but we will have like every year, I feel like three, four swimmers being in there. Um, what was very unlikely before. Um, yeah, I feel like we have so many chances this year with distance swimmers at the Olympics. Just like with one more event, you can do way, way crazier things. Someone like having there's never been a uh, swimmer who won like the 800 and 1500 at the same time. That will be the first person ever. Um, and then there are some crazy distance guys who like really have a lot of speed for the 400 as well. Um, what I what I'm really gonna be interested in if that if someone is gonna do that, like Florian Bellbrock from Germany, he's mm -hmm. going to be 44 this week. Which if he would add that to his schedule, he would go 400 and in, in every other event up. So that would be like six pool races and an open water race as distance events that would be like yeah i don't know how did, how did you work? Come on. 
Hey, what do you think the distance community is thinking uh, now without like the, the first, this is the first major competition without Soon Young present, right? Um, Let's wait. <laughs> yeah, you think wait? I, I I believe everything. I mean, he has like a lot of trial in May. Um, yeah, so I mean, I hope not, but it's not just not because I don't like him as a person. I just feel like sure. he's done too much too much damage to the sport of swimming to have him swim again. We saw the Russians show up at Rio at the last minute. The first thing they were all banned, and all of a sudden we had a couple of people, you know, come inside doors. So. Oh right, yeah. They were uh, banned and entered the Olympic Village, and then they were like in. Yeah, last minute. Yeah, that's right. What do you think about uh, like? I mean, besides the the protocol around, um, you know, like bringing your practicing, bringing your credential and your goggles to the ready room and all that stuff is uh, the the just like Olympic experience, the hoopla around that. And then also how like you prepare for international competitions where you can't eat the same thing. You can't plan for like, are there are there any things that you um, specific things that you're looking forward to the summer saying, OK, like that's one thing that I can control that's in my control and you try to just, yeah, manage that. Yeah, it, it is hard because there's so many factors which suddenly play a role that you never thought would play a role. I really realized that in Guangzhou 2019 when I'm training trip before in Tokyo, uh, in Osaka in Japan. And like you did, I thought the food would be fine, which was definitely fine, but it was just rice every single day, twice a day as a side. And it's like, it's not it's just I lost a lot of weight. It wasn't ideal when I came to the meet. It was just like super skinny, way too skinny than I usually was. And um, what helped me was just like that was an experience where I said, if I go to Asia again, I will be better prepared for that. Yeah, yeah. But I definitely like, I re when I was in 2016 in Rio, um, I was 19 years old. And it was just like, I never thought about any of those what-if scenarios. And just was like, it will be fine. Like never had a thought on all these things, which wrong or maybe wouldn't be there and you kind of need to make those mistakes and learning oh wait next time i need to do this better oh i should bring this so i feel like i had good four or five years now with learning um what i need to bring what i need to do to be ready then when it comes to you yeah what's your uh do you have a relationship with marcus rogan like what's tell me about austrian swimming legacy yeah so marcus um it's quite funny because like in 2004 when he won two silver medals that was like the moment that when i really started picking up swimming or wanted to swim because um, oh, cool. he's our most successful summer olympic athlete of all time mm -hmm. and he was a superstar he was like on every wall everywhere like and yeah it's been quite crazy he trained a couple of years in austria um i trained at the same pool i learned swimming at the same pool when he trained there so we saw him train was pretty impressive and a couple meets with him as well. And um, yeah, he has always been someone like whenever I had a really good swim, uh, he would always reach out to me and say, good job, uh, amazing, all that stuff. What I really appreciate. And yeah, but I feel like he has been so long in the US now. He's not really like incorporated into Austrian daily life. Um, I think he has lived in Austria probably for the last 20 years, two years. Um, but swimming in Austria is, I think it's on a way up, but it's just, it's hard to describe because we have like three 50 meter pools to train. And so it's like, 
imagine how many clubs share one pool. There are probably like four, five, six different clubs sharing one pool. And then you're putting a national center in there as well. And there is triathlon, there is water polo. It's you, the resources are very limited with pool space. And but it is manageable, but the barrier I faced personally when I was 15, 16 years old, I was suddenly the fastest in Austria. And it's not, yes, I was really happy and I thought it's unbelievable. But looking back at it, if you are 16 or 17 and you're swimming the fastest times in your country, you're probably going to go to Europeans, you're going to go to world championships. There, You're reaching someone like, the, the, how should I describe it? It's like the competitiveness around getting that spot is suddenly gone. And that's what I was missing. You need someone who is two, three seconds ahead of you every single time um, to get better. Because if you if you don't have the person anymore, it's enough to stay the same level you are. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a lot of talent, but it's just when they reach the top, there's no one really fighting for the top spot anymore. What is the problem? Hmm. Yeah, I want to switch gears to, um, and I, I feel you, I'm from a small country as well. And yeah, also now it's the best in my little island. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, this is ridiculous. Um, I want to switch gears to ISL. Um, why do they do all the TV interviews with the coaches during the distance events? It's it's, it's convenient. You have more time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it has been that all the time, though. Like, what was it? Like, world champ trials, Olympic trials? They would always throw interviews there as well. Um, or NCAAs. NCAAs they did in 2019. Did they, like, interview Abby Weitzel while I was swimming? Yeah. I think, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they also cut the commercials in the mile for sure as well um, you know you destroyed the ISL you had some really really fast swims you made it very exciting uh, you know major points for, for, your, for your, your team I'm sure you enjoyed it you want to comment on the ISL and then you know guys we can talk about the, the, the idea of distance in the ISL and how they're trying to change it for the next season as well yeah it is um, it is quite it was a, I loved it. I loved being there in Budapest, especially because that was my first ISL season. We hadn't raced in so long. And then it was back-to-back races on the highest level. Um, and I feel like it, it's still distance women don't have a shot really being in the ISL. Because with the 400 short course freestyle, a 200 swimmer can easily do that event. You don't need to have a distance swimmer to do the 400 short course. Um they're able to survive in there. So right now it's not very distance friendly. What I understand because they want to get it out to the broader audience and to be real, like for the broader audience, someone who is not like a swim freak, watching distance events for them is boring. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is built right now. So I understand that kind of aspect. And that's just something I, I feel like distance swimmers have to live with. You, we can't fight people if they don't like to watch it. That's just... I feel like every swim fan, every sprinter would watch it as well. They would like it as well. It's just, if you build something for the broader audience, um, distance swimming is not the most entertaining stuff. And we did this 800 at the end of ISL, where we, you got like different points at the 100 and the 200. 100, 200, 400, 100, 400, and 800. Yeah. And so it was basically, there would be like sprints in between. Who's touching first, gets more points. And the winner was not the person who's getting the fastest time it was the one who accumulated the most points at the different stops and this gave it this was a really new way of distance swimming because you had like three different races within that one race 
And I think that's a way to make it more interesting for the broader audience and access a new pool of swimmers as well for the ISL. No, you're spot on. And track and field is a good job at making distance more exciting. I mean, the whole London Marathon is broadcast. Imagine on, on national television. And because they have good commentary, they let you know what your pace is. They keep you really informed. All right, Felix's first 50 is right spot on. He's looking good. You know, why else? You know, Rapsis is not looking so good. They really have good commentary information to help the audience get engaged and give it the knowledge that they need to, to follow a, a four-minute race. Um, but before we jump onto that, how, how did did it help you to have ISL after they cancel NCs? Uh yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like racing is such an important part. We are, I mean, we train because we want to race. We don't train just to train. I think a lot of swimmers sometimes forget that that um, racing is such an important part of being a successful swimmer and missing out with so much racing opportunity and having six weeks of racing it was not just racing it was racing like the best people in the world um on like what five meets i had yeah five meets um that's experience which was so good for me because i needed it i needed i think i was always a really good swimmer um and i could perform but i struggled performing around the best in the world next to me mm. and that's not an easy situation to be in and that's something you can just really learn with doing it over and over again to get used to that atmosphere and standing next to this Olympics champion, being next to the world record holder. That's something which you get more used to every time you do it. And mm -hmm. I mean, ISL was the perfect event for this for me. Hmm. Felix, let's close with some rapid fire questions. What's the hardest race in swimming? 400 freestyle. Short or long? Long course. Olympic gold, world record, or ISL MVP? Olympic gold. What's a fast reaction time for a distance swimmer? 0. 0.74. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever miscounted a 400? What do you say? Have you ever miscounted a 400? No. <laughs> Were you surprised to see Rapsis miscount a 400? Yes. <laughs> Can you even see counters when they're not in the water? No. <laughs> <laughs> then what is the point? I have no idea. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. Uh when how long until that, that 732 goes down? Uh 10 years. <sighs> 10 years. Will you be around to do it? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, and then for ISL, if you could do one thing to gamify the ISL to improve distance swimming and it's just like part of the show, what would what's your idea? Um, maybe put like distance events of each stroke in there. If you see like a 400 fly, 800 fly, I feel like that would be a lot of people. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> So that reminds me, I went to this double distance uh, meet one time in Jacksonville, Florida, where we did the 400 fly, 400 is a stroke, the 800 IM, the 3,000 free. That was, I don't know. That was weird. I didn't like it. Anyway. <laughs> can't wait to see some of those uh, sub-in or alternates in the 400 fly or 400. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just going to be so I want to jackpot time. <laughs> 
Yeah. I still, but we need you in the Florida press today. We need you stepping up, man. <laughs> I like to like a lottery system. Just like you throw the distance swimmers in there, but you, they don't know what event they have to swim. I think that would be cool. And just let them know when they get like on the way to the block. They used to do that in Australia. They had a skins IM. And you get to the block and you got the order of your 200 IM. I'm starting with breaststroke? Crap. <laughs> <laughs> Felix, thanks for hanging out, man. It's uh, good to see you. Have a, have a big meet. We look forward to seeing you taper and, and uh, close and watch in Tokyo. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Right on. All right. That's it for this episode. And we'll see you all later. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it. And be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at The Social Kick Podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick. And you can find all of our content on our website at thesocialkick.com.